Hello, and thank you for downloading our first episode. Before we get started, I would just like to throw out a few thank yous. First off, to my friend Graham at the Gateway to Anime podcast for some advice with getting the episode hosted and with the editing of the episode. Also to my friends Oni, Mark and my brother Claude for help with getting our initial recording equipment together and also with the editing. To everyone else, you can reach us on our email address starterquest at gmail.com or on our Twitter account at starterquest. Please feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and feelings on our first episode or to discuss the games we're covering today or in any future episodes. We truly hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Starter Quest, a podcast where we explore classic video games through the eyes of a newcomer. I am your host, Alex Crowler, joined by my wonderful partner and the star of this podcast, Jen Hughes. Hey, how are you? I'm doing quite good today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing quite well. Excited to get started with this? Hell yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this podcast for almost two years now. Yeah, all our friends are sick about hearing about it. And bad news, you're going to keep hearing about it uh, (laughs) if everything goes to plan. Yes, because you will be the ones that we reach out to first to leave us some good reviews. So please be nice to us. Please be kind. Constructive (laughs) criticism only, please. What we want to do here is do a video game review podcast, but something with a slight difference to it. We're here to look at some of the classics of video games through the opinion of someone who's never played any games of that series before. Each episode, we will look at the game in question in two halves. The first part, which we're doing right now, will be us discussing the game with Jen before she's played the game itself, to see what she knows and expects of the game going in. Then we'll take a break in the recording, go play the game, and come back and discuss the game with Jen having played and hopefully finished the game to see how it holds up the expectation. Yeah, I think there's going to be some uh, fun video game music in those little intermissions there. Yes, I'm going to be relying on us getting some music from OC Remix to play just to delineate the difference between the first half and the second half. Before we get started with this project then, I just want to get an understanding as to what you're looking to get out of this podcast. I think it would be fun. Mm-hmm. I've not had much experience playing video games There's been so many times where my friends have been talking about a video game or something like that and I've said, oh, I've not played that or, heaven forbid, what's that? And they'll be all like, oh, you've not played this video game? What, have you lived under a rock? Or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. There's a lot about video games that I don't really know and I want to broaden my horizons a little bit. I want to be able to put the skills I have spent four years honing to some sort of use. I mean, what other uses are for an arts degree? <laughs> Transferable skills, Alex. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> so I'll be analysing each game that we cover as I would a classical text in my degree because might as well use my skills, right? As well as how the controllers feel, like how accessible they are and how they resonated with me personally. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this is that you don't have to go far on the internet to hear the opinions of seasoned gamers talking about the classics. I think a lot of video gamers come to gaming with a love for the current generation that they grew up with 
and then try legendary titles from previous systems just to experience them for themselves. What got me interested in this idea is taking someone who has a love of video games but doesn't have the experience of playing them. I've been with Jen for a number of years now and in that time she's watched me play plenty of video games on those lazy Sundays where we're more welcome to sit around in our pants all day, you know? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of mileage in getting your particular opinion out of gaming. Yeah, yeah. Look at it with, like, fresh eyes type thing. Mm -hmm. Before I talk about my history of gaming, though, I just want to quickly ask, what's your history with video games? When I was younger, I'd always watch my brother or my cousins play video games and act as a backseat gamer. Mm -hmm. So they were the ones in the driver's seat and, you know, playing the game, and there'd be bits they'd miss. Mm -hmm. And me, having watched the screen for the whole time they'd been playing it, have spotted something they didn't manage to find. I, yeah, I got a lot out of that. It was really fun, even if there was a whole bunch of times where they ignored me and didn't take my advice at all. (laughs) (laughs) I find a lot of people's introduction to games is watching people play and then picking up the controller for themselves. Yes. Did you never feel that need to pick up the controller and play it yourself? Um, not necessarily. Like, there were quite a few of the games that they were playing that were platformers. And there were some of them, I just kind of underestimated my ability. I had to actually do the platforming. And it was a lot like being able to, like, watch the game and the story unfold and be immersed in the world. I could do that just sitting in the back seat. Mm-hmm. But I have played video games. It's not like I've never played a video game before. There's quite a few I've played. Mm-hmm. Okay, then for posterity, let's just go through the list of all the games that you can say that you've played and we won't be covering. So uh, we won't be covering any of the Mario Kart or Mario Party games because I've played quite a few of those. Yeah, I mean, we are starting with Super Mario today, but this is because you've never played any of the platforming Super Mario games. Oh yeah, none of the platforms, none of the proper uh, Mario games. Yeah, (laughs) I consider that to be the Super Mario franchise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've also played my, (laughs) when I was like between 15 and 19, my social life was essentially playing Smash Bros Brawl with my friends. And apparently it's the least popular Smash Bros game. But I really like it. I remember it being huge at the time. There's, I got a copy of Brawl as well for my Wii. It wasn't very highly rated. Yeah, it was popular, but it wasn't everyone's favourite Brawl game. Yeah, it wasn't exactly highly acclaimed, which I disagree with personally. I mean, I managed to play the platformer story mode that Smash Bros. Brawl had. Underrated when the new one came out and its story mode was not didn't look like that, I was kind of disappointed. Okay, so you've played the Smash Brothers, Mario Kart and Mario Party games. Yes. Wells. Um, I also, I played a lot of The Sims 2, especially when I was starting secondary school. I would always come home from school really exhausted and not able to talk to anyone. It would be straight onto The Sims 2. <laughs> I'd have... I, I was probably one of the nicer players. I really liked seeing my Sims grow up and have kids and fall in love and find new hobbies and all that sort of stuff. I got a lot out of that. Unlike, apparently that's not the most popular way to play The Sims. No, because The Sims just turns you into a sociopath. You play for about half an hour and then go, I'm bored now, and then you just try and kill everyone in the house. <laughs> 
I was also like a bit of a fan of World of Warcraft. I did not really tend to do all that many quests. My highest character, I got to level 12. I just spent the whole time traveling because the world of World of Warcraft is just incredible. The Mm. world building and everything. And I wanted to see it all. And also, I am a massive Animal Crossing fan. Oh god, you're the only person I know that's still playing New Horizons in 2021. I know, I wish they'd fucking give us more updates. Like, a French Revolution beanie hat is not enough. (laughs) We need Brewster, we need Cap'n, it's not fair, your fans are outraged. You promised us a three-year development plan, Nintendo, and it would be really nice if you could give us that. (laughs) Uh... Dr. Kawashima's brain training. That's not a game. That's just an old person distracting machine. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it is a game. It's, it's like, you know, there's Dr. Kawashima with his cute little face, you know, <laughs> encouraging me to do Sudoku. It's, it's a game. <laughs> I always think he looks like something that fell off a PS1. I don't know how he still <laughs> looks like that in this day. And, I mean, surely we can get a realistic face of Dr. Kawashima in those games now. I mean, to be the honest, you know, he's... Quotes. I mean, he's just aged so well, you know? Like, just look at his complexion. <laughs> Not a wrinkle in his face. He looks like a fucking inflatable sex toy. <laughs> we're oh. go- we are going off on one. <laughs> right. I think that's quite a small pool of games, all things considered. Yes, it's a small pool of games. And... That's going to be the point of this podcast. I mean, just to compare it to my history with gaming, I was born into a household where my dad and my big brother were always playing video games. Some of my earliest memories are watching my dad and my brother play sensible soccer together and, you know, trying to take a shot of it myself. The first game I can properly remember playing, though, is Treasure Island Dizzy on the Commodore 64. Oh, yeah, that's the one with the Eggman. Yeah, with the flappy arms. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. I, I mean... That game is beyond a four-year-old playing it. It's just a never-ending quest of trying to work out which item goes where. So the most I could do is pick up some things and then get stuck. Thankfully, I've got better since then. I can, I've can. i been playing games all through my entire life to the point where it's just part of my world now. And by you dating me, it's now became part of your world. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun playing video games together. One of my highlights, of many, of course was completing the Obra Dinn. Return of the Obra Dinn, Return yes. of the Obra Dinn. We had a lot of fun with that game. It's just a real shame that it's one of those games you can only ever play once. Yeah, it's one of those things that you wish the Men in Black mind wipe thing was there so then you could just play it again. Yeah, absolutely. Or you could have my terrible memory, in which case I'd probably forget what the mystery was in like a good two years. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> one day, <laughs> For now, though, we're going to get started, and I really don't know how to introduce this than just to steal a line from a not-so-famous movie. So I give you Super Mario Brothers 3! The game we've chosen to start this off with is Super Mario Brothers 3. Mario! It's a me. <laughs> Let's see how far we can get without making fun of my Italian heritage. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're starting this podcast off as you've never played this game, is that right? 
Yeah, I've played like some spin-off Mario games, but I've never played like a Mario platformer game. Mm-hmm. I've heard YouTubers talk about other more modern Mario games, but I've not heard all that much about 3, weirdly enough. Yeah, I have decided to start this podcast with Super Mario Bros. 3. I mean, as much as I know that the first Super Mario Bros. has this iconic look that just people think of when they think Mario, I always feel the gameplay is not quite there yet. It's great for its time. But I do feel that when we get to Super Mario Bros. 3, the whole experience is so boiled down to its perfection that even to this day Mario games are still imitating it. It's like you are you know teaching me through video game literature if you will Mm -hmm. and you're choosing my curriculum yes basically it'll be there'll be like some of your biases in there when you are choosing what games you feel hold up as classics Mm -hmm. and where best to start off your student i have to admit i never grew up with mario as a character as a games as well i i had the game boys but i never had any of the nintendo home consoles until the gamecube and even then i wasn't playing mario games it wasn't until the ds with new super mario brothers that I actually finally played one of the games. It was after that point that I went back and played the classics, which is when I played the Super Mario Brothers trilogy. I played through Super Mario 1, and yeah, it was all right, but again, quite simplistic of the formula. I do think that 3 builds upon it in a much better way. Mm. And then with Super Mario Brothers 2, which was very famously, like the original Super Mario Brothers 2, was rejected by Nintendo of America for being too samey. It looked too much like Super Mario Brothers 1, except it was much harder. That's why instead they took another game called Doki Doki Panic, which they then turned into Super Mario Brothers 2 in America. So hang on, what is Doki Doki, what's it? Doki Doki Panic. Yeah, Doki Doki Panic. It, it was, a, as far as I remember, Doki Doki Panic was based on some Fuji TV characters that Fuji TV licensed Nintendo to make a video game about. So hang on, who are Fuji TV? What, what kind just, of stuff do they do? It's a broadcaster. All oh, right, okay. When Super Mario Bros. 2 got rejected by Nintendo of America, Nintendo of Japan then repackaged Doki Doki Panic, which was made on the Mario engine, essentially. They took out all the licensed characters and replaced them with Mario characters, and then released that as Mario Bros. 2 in America. In Japan, they then refer to it as Super Mario Bros. USA. Right. It's, it's a fun game, don't get me wrong. It's just a radical departure from what, Super Mario Brothers 1 is and what Super Mario Brothers 3 will be that it's not very reflective of the Mario franchise yeah that's why I decided to go with Super Mario Brothers 3 for the first game I think we just if we start with 3 you're getting everything that Super Mario 1 has and then some and Mm. so I don't want to waste time in getting the game that set the groundwork let's just play what is the the Marioist of Mario games? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just the the perfection of the formula, which I do think this can deliver. Yes. So what do you know about Mario, just before we get started with this? I know that he is 
the main guy, the main Nintendo guy, mm. he's also the player that normies choose as their character on Smash Bros. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, like, I imagine the typical Mario game is this. So Mario travels through different worlds, jumping on turtles until they die mm. in the hope of getting some of Princess Peach's cake. She's been kidnapped <laughs> by big bad spiky boy bowser when you say it like that it makes cake sound so dirty oh don't be so naive <laughs> dear mario he's come to the castle i have baked a cake for you Yippee! <laughs> he keeps going he keeps finding uh, i think toad tells keeps telling him that the princess is in another castle keep going until he actually finds the right castle I imagine it's really hard to not know anything about Mario. He's such a part of the collective consciousness Mm -hmm. that you can't really avoid not knowing about him unless you're really cut off and are like living the Amazon or something. You might not have heard of him, but Mm -hmm. even then, who knows? (laughs) We are just in the aftermath of the Tokyo Games completing last week. And if you do remember four years ago when they were doing the handover ceremony with the Prime Minister who came out at the time in a Mario hat. It's that ingrained in culture that even in the Olympics, Japan hold up Mario as the, this is Japan, this is a celebration of Japanese art to this extent. As much as Kabuki, as much as anime, you have also got video games and Mario. Yeah, it's funny that, like, you know, such an important part of Japanese culture is an Italian plumber. (laughs) Yes, yes. Which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's really cool to, like, see different things come up in texts. But that's the thing about Mario is that he is just that endemic of the entire medium. If we are going to start a podcast about video games, where else do you start than with Mario? Yeah, with Mario... Because he's like such a mythological figure, if you like, that I- I'm being serious here. Um, it's the god, the god of Mario. Not it's like how he's built a certain mythos around himself that it's kind of difficult to tell. Like if you've never played a platformer Mario game or anything, you don't really know who he is as a person, as a character. Well, who do you think he is as a person? Um. I'm assuming he's a good guy. He wants to save a princess. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't know. I can't even can't even speculate because it's just there's so much, you know. So, so is that what you're expecting from this game? Then it's going to have more about the story of Mario. I don't know. I see it as the character of him is built up like throughout each game and everything like that. I don't know if he's all that a complex and rounded character, but I'm expecting something kind of basic, but it's still there. It's still functional and works. From what I can gather, though, from whatever story there may be, is that it's kind of a subversion of the fairy tale. It follows like a quest plotline, hero's journey type thing. The handsome prince that saves the princess isn't royalty or nobility he is a plumber he's working class Mm -hmm. 
and still has a chance of getting the princess. <laughs> I've never thought of Mario being a working class. <laughs> you can tell this is a British podcast. We brought classism into it. Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> Scottish podcast, yes. I've never thought of the idea of Mario being working class. It just got me there. I mean, yeah, he's a plumber. You know. He is. He is absolutely. I just now have this idea of Mario being like a watch the football and have the beer Wah-ha! Wah-ha! seize the music production that's Mickey Mouse we're getting to fucking Mickey Mouse here. <gasps> although that does kind of give me a great point is Mario is widely considered to be the Mickey Mouse of video games essentially yes because you know there's the same mythos and not really knowing Mario as a character in his own stories as there is with Mickey Mouse as a character in his own stories he's always like a mascot of the company mm-hmm. definitely and nothing you can say about Mario is that he is a mascot of gaming not just yes. of Nintendo I mean I, I mean, I can't even think I can't even think of other mediums that have a mascot the way that Mario does BBC can put out an article talking about how video game growth has grown in the past year and they'll just put a picture of Mario on it and Mario just has this shorthand for gaming yes and the dragon that Prince Mario must save Princess Toadstool from is not really a dragon dragon but a fire breathing spiky scary turtle man that, that fire breathing dragon though I just want to check you, you know his name right yes his name's Bowser his name's Bowser yes so, <laughs> what do you know about Bowser um well as i said that he is an evil fire-breathing spiky turtle man most dragons i do feel are just a shell away from being bowser essentially uh, well <laughs> bowser can't fly yet okay so you, you think that's who the bad guy of the game is then just bowser yeah unless like you know there's some diabolical plot where like her father sold her off to be the bride of the turtle man any other characters you want to mention then you've mentioned mario peach and bowser any other characters you expect to see in this game uh i think there's the turtles that uh mario stomps on until they die what are they called uh koopas Koopas? and then there's the para koopas Mm -hmm. that fly in the wings my favorite character to play in mario kart double dash (laughs) um there's also the goombas like the little like heat things with the little feet um, Luigi doesn't appear in this one, right? It's called Super Mario Bros. Oh yeah, so yeah, probably does appear at some point. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention Luigi, just fucking poor little green Luigi. I know. I mean, you've seen the artwork we've done. I gave you the artwork of Luigi. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> you unbelievable. Ended up like accidentally kind of going for Mario as a whole, <sighs> so it's like, duh. Of course, Luigi's gonna be there. I guess. <laughs> How do you think Luigi factors into the game? Either co-hero or hero's sidekick. Do you think you'll play as Luigi in the game? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Where do you think it's set, this game? So, it's. I think it's set in the Mushroom Kingdom and mm. surrounding area. There's a whole bunch of worlds as well. There's a fire land, a lava land... A water land, a normal brick land. And a zombie land, and a Disneyland. <laughs> and Epcot. So, do you understand all these different worlds? Do you think these are all part of the Mushroom Kingdom, or do you think they're all 
their own individual worlds or what do you think this is? I think uh, I see the levels in Mario as the Prince Mario travelling like far and wide all over the kingdom, all over the land overcoming adversities to get closer to saving the princess yes. toadstool get you a man who'll travel through oceans perishing tundra and volcanic hell holes to save you from an evil serpent <laughs> it's, it's very much a, very much an uh, i can't say the word odyssey because we already have a mario odyssey yes uh, but very much a wide encompassing journey you're expecting then yes it is a hero's journey where he overcomes some stuff you expect your hero who will like start off as unremarkable and Maybe not very good at fighting. We don't imagine a plumber is going to be all that remarkable or great at fighting, though I'm sure there's plenty who are. It makes, you know, he has to earn his place as a hero. You know, it makes a story more compelling if your main protagonist has to go through some stuff. And it makes it all the more satisfying when he finally gets to save the princess. The player, for all intents and purposes, is Mario. Mm-hmm. You're playing Mario and controlling what he does and putting him through this quest. So by proving that he is the hero at the end, you're by extension proving you are the hero. Wonderful! Mario is a tops! Before we get started, I do have one surprise for you. Oh. Now, as you said, we've been planning this podcast for a while. This originally I did buy as a Christmas gift for last year. And I'm going to instead give to you as an early birthday gift. So I do want you to open it here. <laughs> yes, you can shake it for the microphone. Make sure it's it's definitely really wrapped. I'm trying to unwrap it really carefully. Ah, fuck it, who cares? Hang on. You open it now. <gasps> Woo! These are, for all you listeners at home, Nintendo Entertainment System controllers that can be used for the Switch. Yes. For playing your NES games. I Cards on the table, we are going to be playing the Super Mario Bros. 3 version that's available on Nintendo Online that we got with our Switch subscription. But I did want you to get this controller because I think there's something very vital I wanted you to have some of our early choices. The first few games we're going to be picking are games with very simplistic controls. And to that end, I wanted you to have an experience of holding the original controller it's probably something I'm going to try and keep going as long as I can to have you play the games we play in this podcast with the correct controller. I'd go so far as to get the console, but I may be a bit too much in that in the odd direction. But I think being able to play this with the original inputs will give you a lot more understanding of the original experience. Hmm. Yeah, because you want to get I want to get an idea of how someone at the time would be playing it. They wouldn't be playing it on a Nintendo Switch, they'd be playing, you know, the NES controllers and stuff. Yeah, admittedly, obviously. <laughs> I mean, we have got modern creature comforts. You know, you're playing on yes. the HD TV, and actually have a console that will reach from the TV to the sofa, which we didn't have. Which, as anyone who survived the '90s will tell you, you played video games like an inch away from the screen because that's as far as the cables would let you be. Mm-hmm. So, we have your controllers. We understand where you are with this game. Mm-hmm. Are you excited to play this game? Hell yeah! Alright, let's get started! Yahoo! And we are 
back. It has been six weeks since we did the first half of this episode. Six weeks. I'm so sorry. It took ages to complete. To be fair, it wasn't just you. It was We had a lot of family things. We went on holiday. You've had some work applications to go through. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy month. It's been a while since we did the first half. We now have your roost, apparently. Thank God. Now all we need is capping. <laughs> well, we're, we've not seen the Animal Crossing Direct yet, so hopefully you're going to get that. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, the fact that we've got like an actual Direct for it now is a good sign, but yes. <laughs> Woo! You managed to finish Super Mario Bros. 3, is that correct? Yes. What are your immediate thoughts on the game? Um, It was hard. Yeah, you did struggle with this one. We- I struggled a lot with this one. We'll talk about it more when we get a bit more in depth of the game, but yeah, it wasn't an easy playthrough. Yeah. I think it's very easy to forget how used to games I am. Yeah. I kid you not, before we started this podcast, I picked up Super Mario Bros. 3 and did a playthrough of it on my Switch. And I tried to do things like I didn't use the run button. I didn't try to get all the items. I tried to see how it is for a newcomer to play. And I found it, you know, challenging, but not too hard. I completely forgot how used to platformers I am. And even not using some of the tools I normally use, it's still not easy. Yeah, I think the the controls really threw me off because like, everything's really slippery. You're kind of quite fast-paced, especially small Mario, you're at the start. Also, the kind of platformers I've played, you've had a health bar. So you can take a few knocks and you're fine and you can like kind of punch your way out. But this game is not that. No, it's not. There is no forgiving to Mario. It's really not. Like Literally, you like slightly graze an enemy. You bump into it a little bit passing by. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I think I have to apologize. As you may have heard in that first half, I got excited with those NES controllers. How did you find the NES controllers? Shite. <laughs> um, I may, to be fair, I may have had a better time if my television's lag wasn't as bad. Yeah. But I really struggled with completely different controller. Plus the platforming is it's unforgiving. You get four chances. And if you don't get those four chances, tough shit. Yep. You're right back to the start again. It is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, that's um, that's on me. I've always heard people complain about the NES controllers having this bad lag. Again, before we started this podcast, even before I gave you that gift, I had it out of the box and trying it for myself. And I found the controller to be fine. It worked. It responded well enough. It felt like an NES controller. I did not try it with a TV, which is my fault feeling here. I had it sit on my work desk and just playing it on my lunch break. I completely underestimated the lag that was going to create through your TV. So we had to get the controllers to fuck very early. I kind of started playing it just with the normal Switch controllers. And in handheld mode. And, and in handheld mode. And it was a bit easier. I kept persevering with the NES controllers and I was being driven to drink, quite frankly. It was really frustrating. <laughs> Originally, we were going to have the rules of gameplay of this. And the rules of gameplay were something we want to try and carry through to future games. Some of them are more generic. Some of them are very specific to this one game. Rule one of gameplay is I cannot take the controller off Jenna anytime. However, I can give her starting tips and tricks to help her. And I can talk her through difficult parts of the game. And if she gets stuck in a game, we can look at a guide for what to do next. Yeah. I also would sometimes do something on my Switch to show you how I did it so you could then copy me. 
Yeah, kind of like watching a, a walkthrough, but not quite. Rule two was going to be that we didn't use the switches built in rewind and save state functions, except at the end of worlds, because that would just save Jen getting the warp whistle. We had to knock that rule on the head very fucking quickly, didn't we? Yeah, I really, really struggled with the first level. Uh, it was at that point where I knew I would have needed alcohol to get through it. <laughs> Which it feels like a bit embarrassing because it's like, oh, it's a kid's game, it should be easy. No, it's not. Early gamers were basically akin to Spartan warriors, as far as I can see, and we have only gotten more and more wussy since then. <laughs> a lot of games of the era were being made for arcades. Yeah. Arcades were to be difficult. They wanted kids to get out of there when they failed. You had to be good to stay at the arcade. I mean, they also wanted more of your money. That too. That absolutely too. Yeah. Like, you don't want a game to be too easy or else you're not going to get as much money out of the kiddlywinks. Yeah. This game, well, it wasn't made for the arcades. It was in arcades for a while. Yes. At least with your NES at home, as difficult as it is, you can at least keep playing it over and over again once you've bought it you've bought it but with an arcade how many hundreds of pounds must children have sunk in to try and complete that game in arcades you would be as well buying an nes at that point oh absolutely that was the strategy and it's definitely bled into this so after that i allowed jen to rewind and save state as much as she wanted just to get through the game Otherwise, we would not be here talking about it. Honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that there were the safe state options there and the chance to rewind bits to get your timing better, I probably would have given up within like the first two, three levels. Yeah. The third rule was always going to be that Jen doesn't need to finish the game, just play enough that we can have a conversation about it. But it, without letting you do that, we were not going to get anywhere with the game. But it also, it makes the game more accessible. If you got like a save feature and a rewind thing to go back on, to make a game a little bit less frustrating, it's like how people can look down on audiobooks. Oh, audiobooks aren't really reading, but no, it is. Let's just count it as reading. You're still enjoying and engaging with a text. You're just getting help to do that. Yeah. It makes it, cause accessibility, you know, there's no point. You're not going to enjoy something if you can't understand it. How much can you really enjoy a game if you can't play it? I completely agree. Lessons have been learned. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be a lot more careful of the games I'm choosing for this podcast. It was a cute idea to start this podcast with Mario. It was the wrong fucking choice. Yeah. <laughs> With all that being said, let's now go a bit deeper into this game. Super Mario Bros. 3 launched on the NES in Japan on October 23rd, 1988, and it didn't come to America until February 1990, although it was made available through special Nintendo arcade machines in America in July of 1989. It didn't come to Europe until August 1991, but that's because Nintendo hate us. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's been a weird thing is that Nintendo has never been... The dominant console brand in Europe. I mean, handhelds, they've always fucking dominated. And the Wii obviously outsold everything all over in the world. If you look at which is the home console that people spend the most time playing, it's never been a Nintendo home console. Mm -hmm. Even the NES was outsold by the Master System in this country. I mean, I don't even know what the Master System is. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do any Master System games. I feel we should because it is part of gaming history. Maybe Alex Kidd, but I'm not sure. We'll have to come back to that. 
With this game, Nintendo were bringing a lot of new ideas to the table. One of the big things about this game was the new suits they were bringing. If you go back to Super Mario Bros. 1, the power-ups back then were the Mushroom, the Fire Flower, and the Superstar. So this game really increased the arsenal in a big way. Yeah, there's loads and loads of items in that game. Knowing like what item to use in what world, I got I got a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, the Tanuki suit, the raccoon suit, the hammer suit, the frog suit, all that was new to this game. Oh, I didn't know that that was all new to that game, yeah. They also introduced a lot more moves, so sliding down the hills, kicking items and flying were all new to this game as well. Just to kind of build up a bit of range, I suppose, because don't want to do the same game over and over and over again. They wanted to increase the mobility. Right. So a lot of these new abilities were to help experienced players enjoy the game by able to use certain speed tricks. It's why the game's always been held up as one of the great speedrunning games, along with the first Super Mario Brothers and with Super Mario 64. Also new to this game was the overworld itself. That is really so iconic to the Mario franchise now. I thought that was always a thing, the overworlds. No, before then it was just levels. You finish a level, you go to the next level. Oh, that would mean the Hammer Bros are new then, yep. right? Absolutely. Hammer Bros, been able to skip levels by using items. Oh, that was a godsend. <laughs> so the introduced things to this, like you said, the Hammer Brothers were new, the random games of chance were new. Oh, those. So your random games of chance, you have like the card game where you get something if you're lucky. And the mad roulette thing where you have to have a full picture to get one-ups, which it's got a knack to it and it's really difficult. I kind of use the suspend function to get more <laughs> items. Disappointed! I know, it's so bad. But it did help me know what items were actually available in the game. Yeah, so a lot of that's news this game. Leading the project, you have the legendary designer Shigeru Miyamoto. I feel so bad we didn't drop his name in the first half of this podcast. Yeah, I I can only really gather that he's like the the Walt Disney to Nintendo, but I really don't know much about him other than that. He was the designer on Donkey Kong, Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, Excite Bike, Duck Hunt, Star Fox. There's so many of these great Nintendo franchises that came from his ideas. So they they were all him. They were all him. Wow. He was always the lead designer on these games. Yeah, a bit like Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, right? Yes. The Excite Bike Circuit is like my favourite in Mario Kart because in the newer ones you have motorbikes and mopeds mm-hmm. as well as cars, obviously. The Excite Bike one's ideal for that. So you go up the ramp and you like you know do like your little speed tricks and you whiz around it and I love that course so much. <laughs> yep, all of this came from one lead designer. He didn't work alone, which is one of the great misconceptions there's two other names i do want to bring up along with him mm-hmm. first one is takashi tezuka who was this game's co-director very long-serving Shigeru Miyamoto's right-hand man i think he's a character in tomodachi life right yeah he's one of the production stars in nintendo now and actually was the director on legend of zelda link to the past and oh. he was the producer for animal crossing oh wow also alongside these two was the lead programmer toshihiko nakago Nakago, a legendary programmer who was the mind who helped get the arcade games like Donkey Kong and Duck Hunt into the NES. Pretty much the lead programmer for most of the major 
SNES titles that came from Nintendo. Now, Nakago, Tezuka, and Miyamoto are known collectively as the dream team of Nintendo. There's a good chance you'll see these three names pop up in some of the future episodes we're going to do. Oh, nice. One thing I want to talk about is the hype for this game. Right. Nintendo did a huge advertising blitz to big this game up before it came out. You've got your usual stuff, your advertisements on television, mm-hmm. your previews in Nintendo Power, which was Nintendo's magazine that they put out. Uh, yeah, I know of Nintendo Power. Uh, James Rolfe has mentioned it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those great legendary pieces yeah. of Nintendo history. This is a text he refers to often. Yes. <laughs> And there was also a whole new cartoon. I didn't know about this until I started researching this for this episode. There was a whole Super Mario Brothers cartoon made just for the third game that featured a lot of the characters you're going to see in this game alone. I think I remember seeing a Super Mario Bros. cartoon on Pop Pop Junior or something the channel was. It was a, it was a kind of sky cable channel for kids. Mm. I remember seeing clips of a Super Mario Bros. cartoon for that. I don't know if it's the same one, though. The only one I ever remember seeing when I was a kid was the one that would have these live-action sections. Legendary wrestler Captain Lou Albano playing Mario is just this inbuilt thought in my head. I think I might have remembered seeing vaguely live-action things, but I it's just such a vague memory. I didn't watch it very much. I didn't know there was another cartoon other than that one with Captain Lou. But no, they made a whole new cartoon just to help get this game's profile up. Oh, is that not a bit like what they did with Sonic Boom? Sonic yeah. Boom had a cartoon. Yeah, I mean, it still happens to this day. Mm. It's Sonic Boom has one, you're absolutely right. Of course, how can I talk about hype for Super Mario Bros. 3 and not bring up The Wizard? Okay, you've mentioned The Wizard a lot, especially over the recording of this podcast. What is The Wizard? I take it it's not The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. No, more like The Wonderful Wizard of Merchandising! (laughs) Merchandising! Merchandising! Where the real money from the movie is made. This movie is a movie that came out in 1989. It's... Have you ever heard of a movie called Tommy? No. Famous movie. It was a movie involving the Who, where it was about a deaf, dumb, and blind kid who becomes this legend at pinball. Oh, yeah, like Pinball Wizard. Yes, Pinball Wizard. I thought that song was about masturbation. I didn't realise that it was like, (laughs) it was a real child playing pinball. We do have to sit down and watch Tommy, but that's for another day. This movie saw that and loved the idea, but instead of it being a deaf, dumb and blind kid playing pinball, they wanted to do it about a vaguely autistic kid playing video games. It's just a fucking absolute bore of a movie about the kids in the movie are going across America to join a video game tournament in California. It's the only film I can think of with a guy who's hired by the parents to bring these children home after they've run away is the fucking villain of the piece because he's a child bounty hunter who's going to go and grab these kids and bring them back for money. Hang on a minute. (laughs) No, I had to do like a bit of a double take there. It's like, wait, a man who finds, locates and brings home missing children is the villain of the film. That's the fucking villain of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the most stupid things I've ever heard. (laughs) 
right. The reason why I bring it up is that it was Nintendo were involved with getting the video games for the movie. Right. And the entire thing is filled with product placement for Nintendo services. I kid you not. I mean, you watch this movie, it's like Nintendo the magazine, Nintendo the power glove, Nintendo the phone line, Nintendo the flamethrower. It's fucking all in there. <laughs> and Nintendo the doll. Me. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why this movie had any fucking clout is in the final act, they shock the kids by making them play a game that's never been seen before. That game was Super Mario Brothers 3. It was America's first glimpse at that game. Right. Because I, I've got to say, I, I've put the clip in earlier in this episode of the guy turning around and introducing the game in the movie. Yes. I have seen that clip before in some other YouTube video years and years ago. I kind of thought it was from just like an E3 or something. <laughs> I thought it was from sort of like some sort of press event of them revealing the game to the public. You know what? When you put that clip in the editing software, so did I. <laughs> you had to explain to me that that was in a movie. Yes, it doesn't feel like it should be in a fucking movie. But yeah, that's how they introduced the gameplay of Super Mario Bros. 3 to the national consciousness. Before then, it was in the Play Choice 10 units where you just have these arcade machines where you could play a selection of 10 different Nintendo games and every now and then Super Mario Bros. 3 would put in there to test the player base. But no, for the everyday American who didn't live for the arcades, the first time they saw this Super Mario Bros. 3 was in that movie. The only thing that sold this movie was the five minutes you see of Super Mario Bros. 3 in the closing act. Just five minutes of Super Mario Bros. 3. If it's five minutes, I'll be surprised. It's that little. Let's come to the actual game itself. Hooray! First off, top of the hour, I do have to bring up Big Lack Luigi. Yeah, I think I was on the money when I said Luigi wasn't going to feature in this game very much. No, he is just player two. Yeah. There is a little bit of where you can play a versus game. We did have a quick shot of this ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Like versus with Mario and Luigi? Yes, it's actually uh, essentially a remake of Mario Brothers. Right. The very first game to feature the Mario Bros name, and it's the debut of Luigi. It's the Mario Brothers that makes the game that came out for NES, the Super Mario Brothers. It's interesting that you get a game called Super Mario Bros 3, and there's only one brother who's really doing all the saving of the princess stuff. In the two-player mode, I think, like, you know, one player dies in a level, the other person takes over, and that sort of thing. It was quite common at the time. There's not a lot of platformers from that era that could do simultaneous play. Yeah, I don't think they wouldn't have had that capability. By the nature of this podcast, we're not going to be doing many other Mario platforming games. Yeah. However, we do have to take a look at Luigi's Mansion at some point. I'd like that, yeah. Just to give you a bit more about Luigi as a character. Yeah, yeah. Mario! 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 So, with this game then, a big thing about it is also the theming. They really did want this to feel not just some generic fantasy world. So there's a big part of this game, you may throw you pick this up, where there's a lot of look to it that makes it look like it's done as a stage play. There's curtains open at the start of the game. You finish each level by walking off stage, off the kind of backdrop. Yeah, yeah. You'll find that a lot of the 
backdrops the level. You see them bolted to the background, like they've been set there as a stage. I didn't actually notice that. I kind of looked at it more as, oh, this is like a sprawling fantasy epic. Yeah, it's, it's the idea of being it's a sprawling fantasy epic stage show. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. While we're talking about this game just generally, we do have to talk about the music in it. The music is very good. Some Le- real classic tunes there. Legendary composer Koji Kondo. Have you ever heard of him? No. Worked on many games at this time with the company, but I think the two he's most famous for are the Super Mario Brothers theme and the Legend of Zelda theme. Right. He's the most famous composer at Nintendo. Maybe the most prolific. I'd have to compare how he is with Kozumi Totaka, who is also massive composer at Nintendo. I think Totaka might have more games done than him. I would have to look at that. I mean, it's Tataka who did the soundtracks for Animal Crossing, for example. Yeah, is that he's got like a little song, like an Easter egg, and like a whole bunch of the games he's composed. Yeah, Tataka song. Tataka song, yeah. Yes, um, that is him. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who's done more games. Of the two, I think Koji Kondo is more famous. Right. He's the more recognisable name. Annoyingly enough, because I do kind of love a lot of Tataka stuff. I do feel, though, you had a hard time enjoying the music in this game a little bit, didn't you? That was your fault, Alex. <laughs> okay. <sighs> we had to mention this at some point, didn't I, we? I had to bring this up. I'm sorry. I know I've ruined this song for you before you even started playing. One of the songs of this game is the athletic background music, it's called. Yes. And... I have flat out ruined the song for you by showing you a YouTube video where someone sings over it. I fell in love with this video when I first saw it. It is such a dumb song. But I, I know I've put this on so many times to listen to. Yes. Yes, you have. I can explain. I hate it. I can explain this song, though. I can fucking explain what this is, though. Please do. Right. I, I don't know anything about who made this video. It's something I just found randomly on YouTube. But I know what this is. When you play a video game for long enough, especially one of these old video games that didn't have... Again, one of the things that made Koji Kondo so great was that he was a terrific melody writer. He had these melodies that you would hear and they'd get trapped in your head. When you play a video game for long enough, though, those melodies get so stuck in your head you put words to it. And if this song is any evidence, it's good to know I'm not alone in this, quite often the lyrics are dirty. Yes. (laughs) You are a young teenage boy. There is nothing funnier than the word masturbating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this still happen to this day. There's a game that me and my friends love playing. Speedrunners. A terrific game to play when you've got your friends over and you want to just play something versus. One of the tunes on that, I've seen my friend put lyric to as well. Especially because it's quite an intense moment of the game. And he would just be going... Don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, right here. Don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, right here. 
I now can't get that song because it always would come up when you're in the closing moments of a round mm. and I can't get that song out of my head <laughs> even to this day when we keep playing the game I will get that song stuck in my head again so I do think that song though did ruin the soundtrack a little bit for you yeah yeah it did just a tiny bit <laughs> Seriously though, the music is really, really good in that mm-hmm. game. There's loads of like themes and stuff that come up that like I oh yeah, I recognise this one. But one I'd never come across before is the Pipe World theme. It's this like super fun, sleepy, jazzy piece. And you know, when I first heard it I was like, Oh, I don't recognise it and oh my god, this is really this is a really cool, cool jazzy thing. I'm quite surprised that I've not seen that in other games since, like any of the franchise ones. You probably have and you just I will say now that you've played this game, you'll go through some other games, you'll see these tunes appear. Because Nintendo love putting some of their old music in mm, as beds. You may have caught a few times in this game, you'll have heard part of the original Overworld theme in there. But much slower and sparse are the... That bit is used as a bed in one of the songs, as is the end level theme. You know the... See, I was so busy trying not to let Bowser kill me that I kind of couldn't really remember the music. Getting back to the game then, I think something you expected for in the intro that you didn't get a lot of was story. Well, in the traditional gaming sense, with like cutscenes and stuff like that, you don't get huge amounts of those in Super Mario Bros. 3. I didn't want to bring this up in the first half, but yeah, at this time, it's not quite common for games to have story. I mean, okay, that's not entirely fair. You did have Final Fantasy at this time, which was a very story-driven adventure in its very first game. But by this point, I I couldn't find any definitive answer to this. But I'm not even entirely sure that Mario being a plumber was canonised at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's always just kind of a given that well, yeah, Mario's a plumber. No, I mean, it... you've got a whole bunch of stuff with pipes. He's got his work gear on. I guess maybe there's the assumption there that he's a plumber. It's one of those things that Nintendo have never said directly that he's a plumber. It's just kind of always been inferred. There was a thing they put on a website a few years back where they said that he's had many jobs through this time, including a plumber. Ah, so he is a general old working handyman. You kind of touched on this at the start, but he is like the Mickey Mouse in the sense that he can just be anything. In fact, oh yeah, he has been a doctor at one point. Yeah, that actually ruins our thing about him being a working class hero. Yeah, he does have a doctorate. Yeah, but you know, he can turn his hand to a lot of different things. He's managed to work his way out of the gutter. <laughs> Despite all odds, he got his doctorate. Back in this time, story was really saved for the instruction booklet. A lot of game design of the 80s and early 90s was really kept for the gameplay itself. Every kilobyte you had was precious to use. Mm. So things like story and that kind of stuff just kind of got chucked at the side. You would have got a lot more of it from the instruction manual. I mean, it makes sense games being designed from Arcadian origins. Mm. <laughs> you don't want to like waste people's time with cutscenes. You want to get as many players in and out as you can. And if you've got cutscenes it's not exactly maximizing your time is it no, not exactly not. time efficient exactly to kind of give you the background of this game then that you didn't get from playing it here is the intro from this game from the instruction booklet 
The Mushroom Kingdom has been a peaceful place thanks to the brave deeds of Mario and Luigi. With and Luigi probably meant to be in brackets, but we'll leave that for <laughs> The Mushroom Kingdom forms an entrance to the mushroom world where all is not well. Bowser sent his seven children to make mischief as they please in the normal peaceful mushroom world. Right, his seven children being the Koopalings. Yeah, people who we, we didn't mention the Koopalings in our first half. No, we didn't. I did not think... I mean, I knew of their existence because they are playable characters in Mario Kart, but I didn't think they were going to appear in this game. Yeah, this was their debut. Ah, right. Spice up the formula a little bit by instead of Bowser all the time, we're going to give his children some of the work to do. It's a very small, small detail of the very first Super Mario Bros. game. At the end of each world, you fight Bowser. Bowser would change into another creature as he was falling, implying that it was someone pretending to be Bowser. Right. So you didn't actually kill Bowser till the end of the game. The Koopalings then let the designers make it. You could fight a major boss at the end of each level without that automatically being Bowser each time. See, that's a good way to do it. It changes your expectations a bit. Yeah. And they are bastards. They are bastards. We'll they are come... bastards and I hate them. I do want to get this point in here somewhere, though. The Koopalings are Bowser's children, right? Mm-hmm. And Bowser and his the Koopalings are taking over the world, basically. Ruling it under their own authoritarian, militaristic regime. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about the possibilities of... Who is the heir to Bowser's throne? Who is who is first in line for the throne? I remember seeing somewhere in my notes that Ludwig is the leader of the Koopalings. I imagine it would be him. Ah, right. Hence why he's one of the last ones. I th- again, could be wrong. I just have that thought in the back of my head somewhere. Could be from the cartoons where I've got that from. That's obviously going to get thrown into challenge when we do get to Bowser Jr. in later games. But that's the story for another game. That's a story for another time. They stole royal magic wands from each country in the mushroom world and used them to turn their kings into animals. And in one case, a pot plant. Yeah, that's not really much of an animal, is it? (laughs) No, it's a Venus flytrap, basically. Mario and Luigi must recover the royal magic wands from Bowser's seven kids to return their kings into their true forms. We say Mario and Luigi, but really it's Mario doing all the legwork. I like that the instruction manual kind of goes, yes, and Luigi was there too. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck. That's actually, this would be better in your voice for that bit there. Goodbye and good luck. Said the princess and toad as Mario and Luigi set off to their journey deep into the mushroom world. That's the story. <laughs> Other than the notes you got at the end of each world, there's no other story. Hmm. That's another thing. You thought it was going to be about Peach getting kidnapped, and yeah, she doesn't really... Yeah, get... uh, she doesn't actually get kidnapped until the last world. Yeah, she's there just giving you notes of encouragement she's leaving with every one of the kings. Mm. Your princess was in the castle you expected her to be in until the very end of the game. She was a bit more help to me than Luigi was. Luigi did sweet fuck all. <laughs> She was honestly an asset. In World 1, after the end of World 1, she gives you like an amulet to fend off the boos, the ghosts. And that was pretty helpful. There's a new enemy in the game. She's given you something to help you fight it. Pretty cool. That was another surprise of the game, though. You weren't expecting this, that she's not Princess Peach in this. Yeah, yeah. When did the Peach thing come about? And also, she actually... Princess Toadstool looks more like 
Daisy than Peach. She dyes her hair at some point. I don't know when, but Princess Toadstool decides to change her name and go blonde at some point. It was always a translation thing. She's always been Peach in the Japanese version. Oh, right. When they brought it over to the West, they changed it to Toadstool. Why? Peach is nicer. I don't know. I mean, I guess I can see where the logic is. Peach doesn't say much about the people she rules over. Yeah, so Toad still makes it sound like she's more the princess of the Toad people. Yeah, it sounds more like a surname, Princess of Toadstool. Yeah, that makes sense. We've got these mushrooms, type of mushroom Toadstool, then yeah, Princess Toadstool. Yeah. Also, you know how all the other people in the Mushroom Kingdom are all mushroom people? And Princess Peach is a mushroom, right? There's this whole thing about <laughs> Bowsette. God, no, no, we're not bringing up Bowsette in this fucking podcast. <laughs> no, no, hear me out, hear me out. That would surely mean by default that Mario and Luigi and all the other humanoid characters are all mushroom people. I They not... have to be, otherwise Mario's an alien. Yeah, I think Mario is not part of the kingdom. Right. Right, so we're going to go through each world right now. And I don't want to go through every single level. Let's just talk about some particular highlights. Okay. So we're going to start on World 1, Grassland. I'm going to be using both the names given in the game and in the instruction manual. Thankfully for World 1, it is just the same for both. That's Grassland. Mm. And we're going to start with 1-1. You kind of touched on this earlier in the episode, but you had a bollock with this. It was very hard, yeah. Admittedly, this was also being done to the old rules. You did the first two levels with no save stating. Yeah, it was very, very difficult. Are you okay with me saying how many tries it took you? Yeah, go for it. 46. 46? Really? Was it that many? It took you 46 attempts to get the first level done. That's when I knew I was probably being way too ambitious having this be our first game. I knew it was a lot, but I didn't realise it was that many. Almost 50 tries at the first level. <laughs> One thing we did do last night, just to see how far you've came since we started. Right. You did do the first level again and you got it done in your first try. Yeah. So you have gotten better, but as we started, it was 46 times. Yes. <laughs> But I will say, watching you do the first level, I was reminded how hard it is to get your thumbs for this type of game. Me talking about Dizzy in the first half does serve as a reminder of how that game was beyond a four-year-old playing it because I didn't have the dexterity yet to control his floaty nature. Small things like you mashing the A button to jump each time. These are just the small habits that you had to learn to stop feeding to get better. Yeah, because in most games that I've played, you do double jumps. Mm -hmm. Double jumps are not a thing in this game. So trying to like hold down the A for a bigger jump instead of doing a double jump was really hard. Yeah, it's small things like that that you had to learn to get into this game. You are comparing my epic struggles in Super Mario 3 to a four-year-old playing a game with a with an Eggman in it. True, but let's be fair here. That four-year-old playing the game was his first attempt of playing a difficult platformer. Yes, that's very true. Adventure platformer, admittedly, but still platforming. And also the jumps of that way fucking harder dizzy once you jumped you couldn't stop his trajectory really so with this if you jumped you're gonna hold right and you could curve mario a bit a little bit you couldn't do that with dizzy mm. dizzy being like i'm jumping this way can't go back now <laughs> yeah you better hope you hit the platform otherwise i'm going off the fucking level Whee! 
But that's where you started with this. There's no attempt of shaming you here. Because you and that four-year-old did have something in common. That was your very first time playing these types of games. If I played Dizzy when I was your age and I never played a game beforehand, I'd be just as bad. Yeah, that's very true. After the first two levels, you're starting to use the save states and it was mostly smooth sailing from there. It was a lot, lot easier. And then you eventually got to the first fortress where you beat... Oh, there was the castle before the final castle. Yes, those are the fortresses. Oh, the fortresses are really puzzly. If the levels are just platformy, the castles are... Fortresses, sorry, are proper puzzly. They're pretty difficult. Yeah, and at the end, you fought the boom-booms at everyone. Boom-booms, that's what they're called? Yeah. I had never heard of them either before this game. I've played this game before and I've never heard them called Boom Booms. Hang on, so what relation are they to the King of the Koopas? I don't fucking know. They are groupielings? <laughs> Essentially, or otherwise, they're just lieutenants. They're not part of the family. I could be wrong. Again, I had never heard of Boom Booms before I started researching this game. Otherwise, if they're not related to Bowser anyway, you are literally breaking into someone's very elaborate home security system and jumping on them until they die. Yeah, that's just Mario style. And also, what if any of the enemies, they're just wandering about doing their own thing. They're not coming after you or anything. After that, though, got through the level and then you got to the end of World 1 and you're very first of the airships. So I was actually quite surprised that your damsels in distress are actually the kings of each world, Mm -hmm. of each country, which I wasn't expecting. Basically going in assuming that I'd be rescuing Princess Toadstool. Mm -hmm. It was quite interesting to know that you're not only saving a princess, you're saving that whole kingdom. At least saving that king. Yeah, you're saving that, well, effectively saving that kingdom. Mm -hmm. Because you're turning the kings back into mushroom people instead of animals so they can rule their kingdom again fair point fair point the airships are insane though you know you like do your little dash and you jump on the anchor and then it hauls you up and then you're in this barrage of gunfire they're just cannonballs and bullets flying every which way and you've got to dodge them all so you don't get cannonballed to death before you get the chance to fight the boss yeah, it's, again, that's something new to this game. It was the auto-scrollers. Yeah, oh no, they were, auto-scrolling levels are awful because, like, you don't have time to think of the next move you're going to make. You have to just, like, run to avoid being swallowed up by the auto-scroll. <laughs> and then you got to the end of the first airship where you fought Larry Cooper. Yeah, he was a dick. I mean, I wouldn't blame him considering you've evaded all the cannons and everything and jumped right into his cabin, but, you know. Yeah, he is the only one of the Koopalings who isn't named after a celebrity. Oh, really? As far as I understand, the person who was doing the translation saw him and went, that's a laddie. <laughs> after then, we go on to Desertland, a.k.a. Desert Hill. Desert World, I now know where the dry, dry desert Mario Kart circuits come from. And also... Fuck the sun. Yep, yep. The sun is an enemy in this game. The sun tries to kill you. Yeah, between levels... It comes out of the sky, moves around and goes out of its way to kill you. Between levels two and three, you get that level, very famous level, you get chased by the sun. Constantly getting shared as a meme on Reddit. Yes, because of course it has. I do think, though, there is a case to be made about the fact that putting, like, the sun itself 
as an enemy within the game to get across the oppressive heat in the dry, dry desert that Mario's having to go through. I mean, let's be fair, you are Scottish. You are used to the sun being your enemy. That's true, yeah. That's very true. I mean, not that we get the sun all that often, but when we do, we both praise the sun god for its generosity and also complain about the fact that it's too hot and we're melting. You do. I I, I tan under the sun. Yeah, but that's because you're Italian. (laughs) (laughs) The first fortress is also when you encounter the first boo. Yeah, weeping angel type shit. If you turn away from it, it will follow you and get you. So you have to face it pretty much at all times. You have to face it so it doesn't come to get you. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, funnily enough, based on the wife of co-director Takashi Tezuka. Really? Yeah. So is was this woman a banshee who would follow you and attack you whenever you turned your back on her for two minutes? Essentially, yes. <laughs> no. brilliant. <laughs> as far as I understand, it was a joke of Miyamoto because Tezuka would have this shy, timid wife who would become this rage monster whenever he was working late. Right. I get you. So the idea of being the shy ghost to the mini back town becomes this raging monster. Yeah. <laughs> Ballsy to say that about your wife in your big new art piece. I'm sure she took it well. I hope she took it well. <laughs> well, she may have taken it well in public, but in private... Yeah, I don't think that would have been a great look, to be honest. There was a part in this where you did use your hammer item didn't you yeah there was a big rock wall thing blocking off one of like a crucial level and i used i got the hammer item i think from the fight with the hammer bros that was one of the first things i got and i used that to smash that wall and i was quite quite proud of myself for that i managed to use my items yeah you'd be able to get around that that's again the overworld being brought to this game allowed players to use the opportunities they get to skip hard levels. Yeah, yeah, precisely. The cloud item was really good for that. You don't get that item often, so use it really sparingly. Yeah, use it once you're ready to rage quit a level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I had like my frustrations with a lot of these things, I think I, I didn't use the cloud item that often. I think I maybe only used it once or twice. I really didn't use it too much at all. Yeah, there was also levels with the chain jumps. That you've skipped. Yeah, I mean, I came across Chain Chomps and other levels, but I missed their debut. Yeah. Do you know what they're based on? Well, they bark. They're like dogs, but I don't know why they bark like dogs. They're actually based on a story of when Shigeru Miyamoto was... I can't remember the full story off the top of my head. They're based on a story that Shigeru Miyamoto had about having an incident with a neighbour's vicious dog. Oh, so yeah, they, they are absolutely based on a childhood trauma. Oh, that's a shame. Yep. Part of writing and things is trying to process these terrible things that have happened to you into art, you know, mm-hmm. kind of grist for the mill. And at the end of this world, you then meet the second Koopaling, Morton Cooper Jr. Ah, uh, yeah, that fat fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the one who decides to... He backs you into a corner. Yeah, he just keeps trying to trap you against the wall if you yeah. let him. Yeah, you can't let him trap you against the wall. He's based off a TV talk show host called Martin Downey Jr. No relation to Robert. Really? Yeah. Oh. So but, a different Downey Jr.? Yes. All right. I did check into that. He's not related to Robert Downey Jr. in any way. Ah, okay. That I could see at least. Gotcha. 
yeah, just a talk show host at the time. Very famous for being a bit of a wise guy. Hence the, the big squat little motherfucker. Mm. Him being Martin Cooper Jr. Uh, yeah. Oh, hence Cooper Jr. Because that made me one. You know. Oh, there's a. That must mean there is a Martin Cooper Senior. <laughs> Maybe Bowser had like a a close friend or brother that he wanted to name his adopted son after. Sadly, Martin Cooper has not been in any of the games yet. Maybe he'll be the next character they announce for Smash Ultimate. <laughs> yeah, Martin Cooper Senior. <laughs> On to World Three now. Waterland, aka Oceanside. Oh my God, I hate the water levels. You hate the water levels. I don't like the water levels. You've got the cheap cheeps who are goldfish who try to eat you. You've got the big cheap cheeps who are big fish who try to eat you. And then spew out little fish who also want to eat you. And the squid who like have like a whole line of baby squid who will just dive after you. Oh, I hate them so much. And then you've got Big Bertha. Sweet fucking God. Big Bertha. World 3 level 8 is when we get to the level of Big Bertha. This was a struggle even for me. I am not good against Big Bertha myself. World 3 level 8, you're in the underwater level, but instead of being able to swim underwater, it's basically quicksand physics. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep like jumping and jumping and jumping to try and avoid Big Bertha, who is cutting about, waiting to eat you, right? And will just like swallow you whole, right? Even when you're on land. because Even was... when you're on land! Because it is Where like she a, shouldn't be able to get you. It is a weird level. You're just kind of like these islands that are between water stretches and Big Bertha is swimming up from one side of the level to the other. Every now and then she'll just jump out and swallow you even if you're on land. Yeah, and I hated that. It was really frustrating. And the fact that like you can you've got a whole swathe of underwater levels where you can swim, except this one. Mm-hmm. This one you can't swim in, annoyingly enough. So you have to keep like jumping and jumping and jumping. I was really lucky in that I found the froggy suit. Yeah, I was quite proud of you for this. I did not prompt you to do this at all. Yeah, I thought, oh, what does this froggy suit item do? And you said it makes your jumps higher, but it makes you move slower. On land. It makes you move slower on land. You move faster in water and you also get higher jumps on land and water. And I thought, oh, great. Finally, I can something I can use to stop me from sinking through the water quicksand. And I managed to beat the level through that. I I think I don't think I managed to kill Big Bertha, although I would have really loved to. <laughs> but I did manage to avoid her, which was good. I was very pleased with that. I'd overcome something there. It made me think of Moby Dick, actually. The book's plot is driven by the ship's captain Ahab and is first for revenge for the whale that ate off one of his legs. Moby Dick. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> I understand Ahab's pain. <laughs> because <laughs> multiple times did that bitch basically eat off my leg. <laughs> Being able to... I think it might have been like later on in the game, the last underwater level, you get the big cheap cheap. I got like a fire flower and I don't know if it was Big Bertha, but it was another big cheap cheap. But I derived great satisfaction from being able to fireball that motherfucker. <laughs> Genuinely, I get so fucking frustrated. I wanted nothing more than to batter that fucking bitch fish, soaker vinegar and serve it with chaps. <laughs> Awful, awful, awful fish. 
End of this world then, you get to the third Koopaling, Wendy Okupa. Oh god, I fucking hated Wendy. <laughs> I found her particularly infuriating because not only did she have the magic wand, she also threw these rings that could also kill you. Yeah, they, and they were so hard to avoid. Yeah, they would bounce off the walls and the floor. Yeah, trying to like manoeuvre around her and the rings... Oh, genuinely, the abject rage I felt. I had to put it down and cool off as close to throwing the fucking switch right out the fucking window. <laughs> Wendy O. Cooper, named after Wendy O. Williams of the Plasmatics. We listened to a few of their songs in the car a few weeks back. Oh, no, not for me. Hated it. <laughs> yeah, she does what has to be the worst cover I've ever heard of Stand By Your Man with Motorhead. <laughs> That was bewildering. I was gobsmacked. I didn't think that anyone could butcher a Tammy Wynette song that badly. And I listened to like the odd bit of punk and metal, but her stuff is just not for me. I listened to a few songs. I can't name them, sadly, but I didn't mind the other tunes. But I do have to admit, that cover of Stand By Your Man was not good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I think I heard like a few of the same ones as you, and they, it wasn't for me. <laughs> just like how Wendy was not for me. <laughs> it totally matches. It's a metaphor. See, this is what happens with games, folks. We give women a female representation in one of the Koopalings, and this is the thanks we get. This is not the representation we wanted. <laughs> <laughs> On to World 4, Giant Island, a.k.a. Big Island. Yeah, it was quite straightforward, actually. I think you're starting to really get a hang of the game at this point. The way I fight the Hammer Bros, right, is I managed to amass a whole bunch of items through cheating. <laughs> you kind of got yourself in the situation where you had three of them back to back. And you used one Fire Flower to take them all down. Yeah, that was quite a good moment, actually. Okay. Then on to the fourth Koopaling, Eggy Koopa. Yeah, um, he was the one who had the... All the Koopalings have got, like, the rays coming out of the wand. His widen out. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a pest. <laughs> yeah, uh, named after Iggy Pop, of course. Yeah, yeah, I I've heard of Iggy Pop. Lead singer of the Stooges. A man who's always turning more and more into that horrifying puppet version from the Swift cover adverts, if you remember them. Oh no, <laughs> I'd managed to repress that. <laughs> On to World 5 now, uh, Sky Island, aka The Sky. Yeah, those were... Oh, um... sorry, sorry. I've just had a copyright strike come in. We now have to refer to it as One Land. <laughs> Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so one land was quite um, difficult as well. This is a recurring theme. Uh. <laughs> this one, I think, surprised you. You first started this one, and you saw the map was quite small. It was a really small map. Yeah. Then you get to the sky portion. It really kind of took you by surprise. Yeah, and then I'm like, that's why it's the skyland. Do you have any notes about five six many chance? I didn't beat six. I beat the other one, though. Yeah, yeah. It, I This was an optional one. I did both just to try all the levels. But six was so fucking hard. I, so I had to wonder if you skipped it or not, because that was not an easy level for me. I skipped that one. I mean, if I didn't have to do that level, there's no point in me doing it. Yeah, I completely understand. And, you know, then I get to level eight, and it's got 
quite a few leaps of faith, mm-hmm. which seem to be that's a recurring thing in who'd have thunk it? The Sky World would have a few <laughs> leaps of faith. Mario is usually good. It doesn't have a lot of leaps of faith gaming, but because it's an auto scroller and because you kind of have to start moving on before the level shows up. Yeah, you really just got to rush through. I think that's another one with Lakitu, who is awful. The Mario Kart games would make you think that he's, yeah, cool guy, you know, he's fine. He's not. He's absolutely not. (laughs) I don't know what therapy he went through to become a bit better, but not the case here. (laughs) You can't attack him either, really. You have to just rush through, you know. Mm -hmm. With level 9, it's so easy to bump your head off of the moving platforms because they're very close together mm-hmm. you try and bounce you bump your head and then fall because <laughs> the things don't line up which very very infuriating and then you've also got fire breathing chain chomps because normal chain chomps weren't bad enough adding some fire breathing ones to the mix just to really piss me off <laughs> <laughs> right so then we get to the end and we're on to roy cooper roy cooper he's the first one to have the earthquake feature yeah that kind of ground pound yeah it's called a ground pound but it's an earthquake because he's which is surprising because you think that morton morton cooper jr is the, the fatter one but apparently uh, roy is just get more density in general i don't i'd, I'd have to compare because he's named after roy orbison so I yeah yeah i know I'll have to compare how heavy the two of them are and see if that one's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Through most of the bosses, I didn't have to use the spin function mid-fight, but with this guy I did because mm. ground pounds mean that you can't move. I actually did use a tanuki suit as well just so I could get the extra jumps. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're stuck in the ground, right? And then the ground starts shaking and you're stuck. You can't move. If you've got an extra jump thing it's a lot easier to stay off a ground that's shaking. That and the Tanuki suit gives you invulnerability. When you have the down, you turn into that statue, Matt. No, that's not the suit I used. I used the raccoon thing then. I thought the Tanuki suit was the raccoon suit. I get them mixed up. No, Tanuki is the one that has the statue form as well. I actually never used that. Really? I never used it yet. I just stuck to the normal raccoon one and I don't know why. I just didn't think to use it. So, on to World 6. And we've got Iceland, a.k.a. Iced Land, a.k.a. That's Why Mums Go To. <laughs> and Ice Physics, fucking Ice Physics. Fucking Ice Physics. Oh, God. Because of Ice Physics and being killed if you even slightly bump into an enemy, you're going to have a bad time. You are this one, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, with the first one, I just used a fire flower and managed to just kill them all before I slid into them. But for level two, it's another sky level. Which, trying to navigate an already quite... I mean, this the platforming's already like a bit slippery for me, but with ice physics as well, constantly would be falling off the ledges and stuff like that. For level three, I actually managed to use the... like What's it called? The P item? P-wing. The P-wing, yeah, that's it. Because with that one, there are a lot of enemies as well as really footed controls and ice physics. It gives you constant top speed so you can fly yeah i use that to skip right over that stage pretty much mm-hmm. all like the really difficult maneuvering and stuff i would have had to do was avoided because i just flew right through it actually i think i only used that the once 
again, as much as I've griped on about how difficult some of these things have been, I only used that option once to like just fuck it, just kind of fly right over a stage. <laughs> then we get on to six five, and this is a fucking weird level in working out where the exit is. I actually couldn't get out of the level. Yeah, there is. You can actually skip it by doing six six instead. Yeah, I skipped both of those levels by just using the cloud item. Even I was resorted to following a YouTube video, you know, that endless repository of the one kid in the playground that knew how to beat the level. <laughs> yeah. And that was the very first one. It's if you remember that was the level where you you have to get the raccoon suit and then you have to fly up holding a turtle shell. So you have to find this hidden passage and throw the turtle shell to take out the black plants. The, the small tiny plants that jump up. Oh god, those things. Oh. I also learned that as useful as a whole lot of the items are, there are some items that are just completely redundant in some levels. Which item do you mean? For example, in World 6 level 10 in particular, you have the hermit guys who throw bricks at you. Mm-hmm. Fire flowers don't work on them. You have to use the Tanuki suit because it can help you like break bricks and you know you gotta f- throw the bricks at them in order to actually defeat them in the end. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the level gives you a fire flower anyway. Don't know why they decide to do that, but okay, I guess. <laughs> on to the end of this world and onto our sixth Koopaling, Lemmy Koopa. Yes, he's the one with big balls. <laughs> his thing is, he not only waves his wand at you, he also <laughs> waves his wand. <laughs> he not only waves his wand at you, but he throws a bunch of balls at you mm-hmm. that you have to. You can jump on them if you need to, but I don't think you could do that with like Wendy's rings or anything. But you no. could do that with Larry's balls. You could give them a good old jumping on. I mean, he is named after Lemmy from Motorhead. Where I really think it would be much more appropriate to name him after Bon Scott from ACDC with his big balls. <laughs> and also, I just squealed a little bit when I saw, like, the king, before he was turned, he was a seal. In the Ice <laughs> World, he was a seal, and I just... It was so cute. He was so bewildered and confused. But he was a seal. So cute. On to World 7, then. Pipeland, a.k.a. Pipe Maze. Yes, super puzzly, mm-hmm. for sure. Hence, Pipe Maze Land. Yeah, some of these levels were incredibly confusing. Yeah, really confusing. Wasn't the first level to do the thing where if you go right, you end up left, and if you go left, you end up right? But this is definitely the world where that came up the most. Yeah, but it was very strange to be able to go to the end of the level and then come out of it at the other side. That was very bewildering. And I had to time like the jump on the musical note bouncy things. Mm-hmm. Which was an absolute pest. They're generally a bit annoying because trying to like precisely jump on the one thing and stay on it is super hard. But mm. yeah, it was really irritating. <laughs> right, on to anything else? I think it was World 7 Level 2 where the squid and jellyfish were a real problem. Yeah, you really had a hard fight with them in this world. Oh yeah, they were really bad. If you thought that they were bad in World 3... They were really bad in this one. Fuck those squid. I think in my notes I said get those fuckers and their offspring into a deep fat fryer. (laughs) (laughs) Make some calamari, yeah. Yes. Oh, calamari. I wanted to spite eat a whole bunch of calamari. (laughs) And I powered through it just fuck you squid. (laughs) In level two 
World 7, I discovered that you can destroy the piranha plants with a fire flower. That, I'm surprised it took you so long to find out. I'm surprised as well, because I used the fire flower quite liberally. Yeah, you can take out the piranha plants when they're out of their... When they come out of the pipe. Very, very useful thing to have known before World 7. <laughs> yeah, that one kind of slipped through. Yeah, that one slipped through. I tried to skip level 5. I think that was the one with a big wall of jellyfish. And then just as you manage to escape the wall of jellyfish, there is a big Bertha. <laughs> Yet another one. Yeah. Because then you get to the fucking the nightmare that is World 7 Fortress 1. Oh, I couldn't do it. The level's a fucking trap. You need to like hit this hidden button on the first area so you can get the raccoon suit or the tanuki suit, actually. And then you have to use the tanuki suit to find a pipe in the ceiling that you have to jump and fly into and you go up the pipe. Yeah, like how I would never have been able to figure that out. It, this like really infuriating trick. I showed you how to do it on my game. Then I talked you through it. Yeah, I think I really struggled to replicate it, mm-hmm. though. You got it in the end. You eventually did get it. I eventually got it, but emphasis on eventually. Unlike with 6-5, you can't skip that level. So you're just wasting your fucking lives away trying to find this pipe. Or, you know, buy Nintendo Power. Yeah. So then we get to 7-7, seven, seven, where you need to walk on a long path of black plants. You have to keep getting the star power to save you. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I really struggled with that. You're trying to go as fast as you can. You're going to miss the boxes. And if you wait too long to get the other box, you're going to end up losing it anyway. Thankfully, you don't have to do it. You can do 7-8. Yes, thankfully. 7-8 then? You have to slip through a load of piranha plants to get through. Fucking impossible without a fire flower power-up. Yeah, that was another one I used the cloud for and just skipped. I really tried with that one as well, but I thought I I couldn't. You can also skip it by doing 7-7. Seven, seven. Oh, fuck my life. Yeah, I mean, you can choose either <laughs> or. Both are punishing levels. Yeah, you're fucked either way. Best use of the cloud. And then we get to our seventh Koopaling, Ludwig von Koopa. Yes, who turned the king into a Venus flytrap. Yes. <laughs> a potted plant. <laughs> Ludwig von Koopa, obviously named after Ludwig von Beethoven, hence the crazy hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. I might put in a little bit of Moonlight Sonata under this, which is a Beethoven composition I do personally love. Yeah, it's a nice one. We'll definitely come across that song again when we do Resident Evil. Yes, that is eminent, I think. And at the end of this world... This is where shit gets serious, because, like, we've saved all the kings, but what's next, right? After you've defeated Ludwig, you get a ransom note from the King of the Koopas. Yes, again... Not Bowser. This is a bit difficult. The cartoons and in the games was always referred to King Koopa. Yeah. In the instruction manual though, his name is given as Bowser. Yeah. I can't tell if this is a translation thing or what, but for some reason he's going by both King Koopa and Bowser interchangeably. As far as I understand, King Koopa was Japanese. Bowser was what they changed him to in the first game. And this is them trying to marry the two back up. I think that there's a point to be said about Bowser being his first name and of the Koopa, King of the Koopa being where he's from and his surname. It's the title. kingdom, yeah, his title, yeah. It's Queen of the UK, King of Koopa. Yeah, Bowser the First. <laughs> and in later games, Bowser the Second, who has taken the legitimacy of the. His, 
we are not going to get into the weird family that is Bowser because it's not clear if there's a thing about the Pekupalings and Bowser Jr. That's a whole thing I don't know off the top of my head. So yeah, you get your snow from the King of the Koopas and you're now on to Darkland, a.k.a. Castle of Koopa. Oh my god, that was intense. In Bowser's Lair, there's different parts, but the first bit you enter is just fire. Yes, it's... Fire, fire, fire. Fire, 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 fire. I thought that it was maybe either in a volcano or he's got a real love for fireplaces. I don't remember the fire levels. It's... Yeah, no, remember, like, when you look at the world, you go into it first, right? It's surrounded by little bonfires. And you're first faced with a tank. Yes, that's the first level. You go through the tanks and the airships. Oh, my God. It's just a procession of tanks all going to kill you. You're ducking and diving through a procession of fucking tanks. Yeah, if they all did to kill you, they've kind of fucked up if they'd let you climb all over them. But they kind of do. In a sense, because like they're firing off shit into the air. If you think that the ships are insane, sweet fucking god. <laughs> I found with the tanks, you have to just speed right through, right? Mm-hmm. The faster and more strategically you can move, the better. But you can't hang around for too long because something's going to shoot you. Yeah, you think it would be obvious, right? But... I kind of needed to figure that out because there's some parts of different levels where you can take a bit more time. A bit like, you know, a total wipeout course or something like that. You can take a bit of time to limber up and stuff. You don't really have that in the tank procession levels. They're auto-scroller levels, so you don't really get a chance yeah. to sit down and think. But that was insane. Then you get to the hands. Now, as all people on YouTube right now, I am falling in love with Summoning Salt's videos. And he talks about Super Mario Brothers 3. When you get three hands, it's super unlucky because each hand essentially has a 50-50 chance of coming up to grab you. Mm. So you've got essentially a 12.5% chance of getting three hands, which you got. But whose hands are they? Uh, Just evil hands. Just evil hands? Master hands, maybe, but I don't know. (laughs) And you got three hands, which is super unlucky. Yeah, having said that, they do give you extra items. True. You get through the stages and they'll give you more items, which you, I needed. Yeah, you were needing items at this point. I got no hands because I'm just, you know... Lucky. <laughs> that old Italian luck, I guess. I don't know. So you get into the hands. They're a bit like your castles, but they're one component of a castle. Yeah. The first one I had had a whole bunch of enemies and stuff. I kind of needed to use the star to get through that. Mm-hmm. Just get through that really quickly. And the second one, I had to use a run and jump, which is where I finally mastered it at that point. Very late in the game to master the run and jump. Very late in the game, but barely than never. And in the third one, right, my favourite fucking thing came up. And who'd have thunk it? Cheap cheeps that live in lava jumping out to come and get me. Fish that swim in lava. What? Why? Just to, Why? Fu- just to hate you, I guess. I mean, yeah, fucking Miyamoto just hates me, I guess, and decides to put cheap cheeps in a lava level. <laughs> what were they thinking? That's clearly what's going to greet you when you eventually arrive in hell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be like all the terrible things I've ever done in my life. It's just going to be cheap cheeps. That's just going to jump out the lava. It's going to be Big Bertha will be waiting for me at the gates of hell. <laughs> 
And it's after you do the tanks and the airships, the hands and the other fucking airship. After that, you finally get numbered levels in the first fortress. Yes, and the first fortress, sweet God. I needed to... Usually going through that game, I created a save state for a new level. And then if I was having a really particularly difficult bit, I'd have another save state for that. I needed to choose up the other three save states to try and navigate my way around the castle. It was a difficult fortress, yeah. Yeah, because it was not just, oh, can't get past this part or this platform bit. It was trying to find your way around the castle. It, it was, was a maze. so hard. Yeah, it was a maze. It was a maze, yeah. It was so disorientating as well because it's all really dark and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was intense. <laughs> Three different save states and your help. <laughs> <laughs> After having played this game and really, really struggled through it, I finally began to understand why the angry video game nerd was so angry. You know, really getting down to the Rolfian school of criticism. <laughs> People are probably going to laugh at me or whatever, but I'm a noob. You're not going into this expecting that I'm going to be any good, right? But NES games are pretty hard. They're deliberately pretty hard. Kind of part of why a lot of your more seasoned gamers have such affinity for them because they are rites of passage. It's Stockholm Syndrome more than anything else. Yeah. And this game had really difficult controls. And those were supposed to be... These are the good controls of the NES, right? The Angry Video Game Nerd talks about bad NES games that have very infuriating controls and level design. I can't imagine if Super Mario Bros. 3 was hard controls. How difficult must these infuriatingly bad games be? No wonder he's so angry. After you're through the castle and through the levels, you finally get to Bowser's Lair. Yes. That was a moment. (laughs) You didn't have as hard a time through Bowser's Lair. I think the maze was a bit more forgiving at that point. Yeah, it was a bit better. But that's only because the Bowser fight's pretty merciless. You get to the end of this game and you're finally on the final boss of the game where you're fighting King Cooper himself. Laying eyes on Bowser for the first time was this moment of, like, kind of fear. Cause, holy shit, it's actually him. <laughs> it's actually him, oh my god. It's the actual last fight of the game, yeah. It's the actual last fight of the game and it's actually Bowser. It's the actual last fight of the game. What the trick is with that is... Took me a little while to figure it out. It's not like the couplings where you can just bounce in his head. What you do, what's really I find really interesting actually, was that you've kind of get to duck and dive and dodge him while he's trying to crush you and jump in your head. But the floor will break under his weight. And what you've got to do is kind of use his own brawn against him, dodging him and letting him bounce down until the floor breaks under him and he falls to his death. Yes. I thought that was so clever because, you know, you're going through the game and Mario's not a brawler. He's not a strong, fighty man, right? He's just a guy who's very, very easily killed. His strength is in his speed and in his intelligence. He's not like a big, tough man. I love the fact that you're using Bowser's size and strength and insane military arsenal you this ordinary everyman defeats him using all Bowser's strength and stuff against him yes i found that really incredible actually there's something very moving about it yep it's one of those classic boss fights in gaming the previous games it was just jump over him and get the axe 
this was a real trial. And I love that for being a real proper... You did what everyone does when you get to that fight, and the first thing you try to do is jump on his head, and you die. Yes. You can't jump on his head. It's an insta-kill. So you then... The one trick you have that beats every... Almost every fucker in this game doesn't work on the final boss, and you have to work it out then and there. Love that. Yeah. It's held up as a classic for a reason. Yeah. But you got through it, and you finally open that rainbow-coloured door. Oh! <gasps> The rush. And then you walk in the rainbow coloured door and there's Princess Toadstool safe and well and you rush in to hug her and stuff and I think she says something like, oh the princess is stuck in another castle. And I think I yelled out, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and then she's like, ha just kidding. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> but I felt that rush. The Mario games are a take on the hero's journey. As I, I've said that at length in the first part. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting being able to actually feel his journey, right? You are getting, as the player, stronger and quicker and better fighter as you go on. You're going through all these trials with Mario. You really, really feel it. Like, the, the emotions that Mario's kind of going through. And he doesn't really have, like, a huge amount of character... I think partially to serve that, you can insert yourself into his shoes a lot easier. Well, that's it. You've saved the princess, you've beat Bowser, you have finished Super Mario Bros. 3. It feels great. (laughs) I had to suspend function my whole way through to avoid falling into a drug-filled stupor. Despite how incompetent I was and inept a hero I am, I completed the game. You did indeed. There's just this moment of awe at your accomplishments and how far you've come. You've saved seven kingdoms from the brink of collapse and authoritarian turtle man rule. You've gotten the girl of your dreams who will no doubt want to fuck you silly when she returns to her castle. Give you cake. I think we got over this in the first half. Yes, lots of cake. An yes. absolute banquet of cake. Nice, deep, moist cake. <laughs> Me, a puny fat lump, has overcome the odds to become a true hero. I feel that on a very deep level. (laughs) And you can imagine me having used the spin function as kind of like a handicap. Imagine for some 10-year-old kid who has managed to, against all odds, complete this game. Has no doubt spent his whole summer trying to get to that point. The feeling of accomplishment you must get from that. I understand that. Think of it this way as well. You had the warp whistle, which did help you get to later levels. But you didn't have a save function back then at all. You had to go from level one to Bowser in one sitting. I don't know how you would have done that. That's it. <laughs> that is an epic quest. <laughs> I overcame my inability to play the game. And I say overcame my inability to play. I still can't fucking play the game. You can. You can do the first level again, which means you can play it now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something I'd quite, I'd find it quite interesting to go back to at mm. some point in the future. But yeah, not anytime soon. <laughs> like, I was also, again, really going through that hero's journey alongside Mario. That is one thing I do love about video games, though. It is about you going through the journey as well. Your character mm. is only an avatar for you at the end of the day. Yeah. And your character does not complete the game. You complete the game for your character. Yeah. Okay, so now, with all that now said, now that you have this experience, let's go through the wrap-up. 
Now that we're at the end of the game, I want to summarize your thoughts and rather than just use a rating system, I instead want to ask you six questions I broke up into last gen, current gen, next gen. <laughs> so the last gen questions, first off, did the game live up to your expectations? Actually, it surpassed them in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, I was expecting it to be a bit easier, but then it's a from a control style that I'm not used to. I think that as much as the storytelling is quite simplistic, it's also, it's not completely cardboard and cookie cutter. Yeah, there's a real charm to Mario and to Princess Toadstool. With really limited resources, they've managed to build a really interesting fantasy world that it would be full of mushroom people and rescuing kings from being turned into animals and things like that. It's super interesting the way they're telling that kind of fantasy story. And it's very easy to kind of forget that, like, you know, that's the story that they're telling. It's a fantasy yeah, we're going to see something interesting next year when this Illumination movie comes out with Chris Pratt as Mario. Oh my god. <laughs> so the next question I then have is, do you feel like you understand the franchise and references to it a little better? Yeah, there's little like nods here and there. The dry, dry desert course in Mario Kart and yet like your Koopas and your Boos and Goombas and stuff like that i understand where everything comes from it kind of all falls into place a little bit mm -hmm. wait until the next time we're playing a mario party game and big bertha comes and fucks with you <gasps> oh god no i don't want to see big bertha again no on to current gen do you feel it holds up as a classic absolutely i hope that everything i've said in this podcast i hope that that's gotten across it absolutely holds up I really struggled with it, but then I still believe that you know it has a lot of merits. It's not completely infuriating. <laughs> There's a lot of good to be had with it. I'm very glad that Nintendo bestowed us with the suspend and save functions <laughs> because that makes the game a lot more accessible to a modern audience who are more used to being given more chances and games and things and being able to save their progress and stuff like that it's helped me enjoy it a lot more next question then i have for current gen is what would you like to see changed about the game really i mean i've complained about the controls a lot there's some levels that were pretty infuriating but then i'm aware that the limitations at the time were you two buttons and the ability to move and a start button and that was about it yeah that's all you got that was all you got that was just hardware limitations at the time so there's not really much i could suggest apart from that just making the controls a little bit less infuriating but apart from that i don't know what else to suggest i suppose you didn't say get rid of big bertha yeah, but I mean, you need challenge in a video game at that the point, end of yeah. the day. So I'm not going to say take out the challenge. It's part of the experience for me is being able to have a good old moan about Big Bertha. On to next gen. And the first question, are you interested in any other games in the franchise? Absolutely. Absolutely. I understand the Mario hype and I'm here for it. I would recommend you go back and play Mario Brothers 1 and 2. Yeah. And you've also got Super Mario World, which is the successor to this one. I've also heard lots of great things about Super Mario 64. I haven't decided if I'm doing Super Mario 64 for the podcast yet. I feel we should because it's such a massive change to the previous Mario games. 
But at the same time, I feel there's other 3D platformers of the time that I'd prefer to show you instead of it. So I'm not sure if we're going to be doing Super Mario 64 or not, but I do still highly recommend you play them. I would also love to give Super Mario Galaxy and Odyssey a shot. Yes, they they're very they're modern ones. I don't think we wouldn't be doing them for the podcast, no. but just in my own time, I'd love to give them a shot. They look really good. And finally, the second question of next gen: Would you recommend it to a newcomer to gaming? No, no. I would not recommend it to a newcomer, just because of the problems I had with it. I would recommend you play it. Like, do play it. Play it at some point. I just wouldn't recommend it to someone who is really new to gaming. That's because fair. of the struggles I have moaned about at length over this podcast. Yeah, I shouldn't have started this podcast with this game, but what's done is done. Lessons have been learned going into our next game. Yes. Speaking of, uh-huh. our next game for this podcast, we're definitely going to do something that's going to take a lot of skill out of the game and rely more on your cunning and wits. Which I no doubt have plenty of. That's something we'll find out. <laughs> so we'll be donning on our pirate hats, booting up our PCs, and playing The Secret of Monkey Island. R. <laughs> I think you'll have a better time with this one, but we'll see how we get on with it. For now, I want to thank you very much for listening to our podcast. We are super stoked to be finishing this and to finally present this to you all to listen to. Please come back, give us some likes and reviews. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you didn't like. Let us know where we can improve. We are absolutely wanting to make this a project we can both enjoy going forward. Yes. And equally that you, the listener, can enjoy too. A big thank you goes out to Tansun for the remix that we're using as a base, What the Funk, available on ocremix.org. Until next time, where we go on our swashbuckling adventure through Monkey Island, I'm Alex Krola. And I'm Jen Hughes. Quest completed. Game over.